Blog Talk Radio. And joined as always by the venerable and hopefully not waterlogged Larry Goodman. How are you doing tonight, Larry? Yeah, it's time to break out the ark, man. I mean, it's 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 uh, been something else here. But yes, as I said, we have a dry day today, and uh, that's nice to see. How are things? Uh, how are things in sunny Mexico? Oh yes, I was in I was in Mexico about a week week and a half ago. Um, they were pretty great. I did not get a chance. I was trying to arrange to see a lucha show, um, but I did not get a chance to do that, unfortunately. But I will say that uh, we were we were in Cancun, which is strangely the one major place in Mexico that I had never been. I had never been to sort of the touristy area. But there were a number of, even just doing sort of a loose search, there were a number of, I guess you would call them indie shows in the area and all over Mexico, kind of like these smaller groups that put on wrestling shows. So I found that to be very interesting. But Mexico was wonderful. Um, You know, this beach and this sort of top of the line resort that was very new. Um, So got to go there with wife and the kids and we just had a good old time so that was that was mexico nice nice well you know at the top here i wanted to talk uh just a yeah. little bit about a movie i saw recently and there there trust me there is a wrestling tie-in the movie was called baby driver oh um, baby driver <laughs> have you seen it yes yes <laughs> boy <laughs> rarely does a movie live up to the hype but boy, that one lived up to the hype. Everyone was just like, oh, "You gotta see it," and I'm like, "All right, I'll go see it." And kind of blew my doors off, to be honest. Well, what's the wrestling tie-in, Larry? So, so the wrestling tie-in is the climactic, uh, where, where the big bank heist takes place, where everything mm-hmm. all well, yeah, where things go awry. Yes, that's 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 the old city auditorium. Oh. That was the city auditorium. That's now a, a Georgia State building. So for those um, who haven't th- seen the movie, the, it was all shot in Atlanta, which is so. If you're if you're an Atlanta person, it's pretty cool just to see all the Atlanta shots in the film. Right. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that. But yeah, the the big bank heist takes place at the that was the front door of the city auditorium where that post office was. In the movie, it's a post office, but that's the city auditorium. So that kind of that kind of got me. <laughs> That but, is you know, I, that's pretty great. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I I really love the setup of that movie. I love the characters, you know, the really interesting. But man, I have to say, it just the down the you know, the last part of it just got to be too many car crashes and explosions and stuff and got like too much like too many other films to me. Um the, I, here, I, it you know, it's 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 funny you bring that up because it's, you know, Spider-Man, all these superhero movies, every action movie I've seen, John Wick 2, all this stuff are all great movies with a shit third act. Like, just, you're just it's just stuff and nonsense. I, I, I can't get over it. Like, Spider-Man was way better than I, it's it's as good as I wanted it to be. And certainly my kid was over the moon about it and but then, you know, the fight at the end with Vulture, it's just stuff. I mean, it's no better than a Transformers movie. And that's 
every movie. I mean, I, I'm thinking of all the stuff I've seen. Despicable Me 3. It's just fucking stuff and nonsense for the last 10 minutes. It's like, slow down. Well, you know, it's just like wrestling. Slow down. It was so, tell a story. It was so you know? Yeah, it, it was so disappointing because they had me in Baby Driver. They absolutely had yes. me. And then kind of like blew it at the, it, it, at the, you know, it was just too much at the last half hour, it was just too damn much. This, this was interesting when I was in Mexico. So apparently they just showed WWE. I don't know if you can call them pay-per-views anymore, but basically great balls of fire uh, played for free on television in Mexico. So I'm just, you know, flipping around the dials as we're sort of <laughs> transitioning from dinner until what are people going to do at night? Who's going to stay with, you know, the youngest so she can sleep and blah, blah, blah. And so I'm flipping around the dial and on, they call it the action channel. I think it's a Fox channel. And so it was like Fox action. They showed the pay-per-view. So I got to see, um, the Roman Reigns ambulance match with Strowman, and I got to see Joe Lesnar as it was happening. Nice. Um, and I, <laughs> here are a couple of observations. One, man, that's a pretty great double main event bill. Uh, two, it was so much more fun to listen to the Spanish commentary. I mean, <laughs> one, I don't speak Spanish. Um, but the, the level of, it was the right kind of enthusiasm that the commentators had is the right kind of enthusiasm. They had a tendency to let moments happen without them interjecting constantly. Um, it's a very different experience that that audience would get. And I think that there's something to be learned from that. Their enthusiasm seemed very genuine. Obviously, they were probably not expected to shill stuff constantly. And they weren't, it didn't seem like they were doing much beyond just kind of reacting to what they were seeing and then emphasizing the importance of it. And boy, I, I mean... If if I had a magic wand to wave, I've got to say beyond the obvious, which is um, improve the booking. I got to say, I think the <laughs> one thing that could instantly make a huge difference in the presentation of the product on television, this goes for Ring of Honor, this goes for Impact, all of it, is commentators that contribute to the product instead of overtly sell it constantly yeah it really yeah one of the things i'll give eric bischoff credit for and you're not going to hear me say that sentence very often but he you know when he took over wcw he said one thing i hated was commentary and wrestling was always guys talking and it was always guys selling the next pay-per-view or talking about the main event during the beginning of the show and constantly selling the next thing, the next pay-per-view, the next match, the next. And he goes like, as a, as a wrestling fan, I didn't like listening to it. So I, you know, that's why he put himself up as the commentator. He wanted to show people how he wanted it done which was sort of mm -hmm. like a more like a less is more approach. Now, clearly they abandoned that notion eventually. And unfortunately, I think that's unfortunate. Um, there's a kind of a kind of a dignity to commentary that just simply does not exist. And uh, my kid made an observation, which was because she, of course, <laughs> knew enough Spanish to converse and all that because, you know, kids are smarter than adults when it comes to stuff like that. So she could understand a lot of the commentary. And she said, I really like this commentary. And I went, oh, yeah, why? What's different? And she goes, there's no face and no heel. Ah, she goes, I, uh -huh. I, 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 I'm tired of hearing somebody play the role of a heel at the commentary table. Uh -huh. And it's just one of those things that – it would have never occurred to me. Of course, you don't have to have that dynamic. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, well, I just I mean, thought that that was we went, really noteworthy and interesting. We went through a lot of wrestling history without it, without that dynamic. And you think of the great uh, wrestling announcers. I mean, they didn't they didn't chill during the show. Or, the, you know, if they did, they kept it low-key. They didn't, you know, they didn't spend the, all, the lion's share of the time doing that. They focused on what was in front of them. And getting, yeah. getting the guys over. 
you know, the guys in the ring. And Jesse Ventura is a great talent and, but none of the heel commentators are close to him or even Heenan or that's, what's funny is trying to pigeonhole people into roles. That's my, that's my thing with wrestling too, is I think a lot of times guys are being put in being cast for roles that nobody should be cast for. You know, <laughs> I, 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 I will say though, I like Corey Graves. I think, yeah. uh, I think he does a good job. I, I, I mean, his, he, he, he's, I think his, his take on that character character works pretty well for the modern era. Um, I, think I, I cringe at the things that he has to say, like whenever well, yeah. they, cause yeah. he's the one who's going to have to spit out the terrible line. Like when, when um, the WWE, this is my always example with Corey Graves is you could tell there was a push at one point to go, well, what's hot out there? Clearly, like, Triple H and them don't know what's hot. And so somebody said, well, people like Game of Thrones. So there, a show did not go by where poor Corey Graves didn't have to yeah, drop yeah. some Game of Thrones <laughs> reference, um, which always was – it was always kind of cringeworthy. And it's just like, oh, that's like when Daenerys got the Unsullied. Like, what, what the fuck? Are, like, I felt so horrible for him. Um, you know, it's it, – but – Again, like, yeah, I, I, and it also helps the fact that everyone kind of around him sucks. Like, it's, there's no, like, I, I think the word is chemistry, is for them, it's a matter of, well, let's get the pieces up there, get the pieces up there. And there's no, like, I think anybody would agree that Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan, or Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura, had a genuine affinity for one another. I think that was pretty clear that even when they're supposed to play the role of, you know, oh, Bobby, will you stop and blah, blah, blah. There was kind of a, like a vaudevillian feel to yeah. them where it's just like, these are two guys that are so comfortable working together. They feel like they're doing something new. I think there was a challenge to it where it's like, you know, Gorilla Monsoon, like, okay, I'm commentating. And now all of a sudden I have to be this sort of bombastic character. I have to be the ultimate straight man. Who's the straight man? Everything is like straight man doesn't mean boring. <laughs> I think they have a hard right. time grasping that. That you know, straight man is there to help, um, and he's every bit as important at getting stuff across as the color guy. Um, yeah, I don't know. So I just thought that was interesting. That again, totally different cultures presentation of WWE. And their commentary was just, it was different. They were quiet in long stretches, um, which really put across, for instance, the, the Braun Strowman, um, Roman Reigns stuff. The whole time Roman Reigns is, is doing stuff to uh, Strowman in the ambulance they're quiet until the big impacts happen and then they're like you know and then they do hush voices for a bit and then they were like super excited like oh no 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 like you know it's like you could tell what they were saying was but he's got to be dead oh my god this is hor- can you mm-hmm. believe this has happened and blah 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 and it was it was a totally different response than i would imagine happened in the states which was probably um, Roman Darrell, blah, 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 just constant din of noise. Right, um, you right, know. right. Well, um, so, you know, turning to more some more positive things, a lot's, a lot's been happening, of course, on the local scene since mm-hmm. we last had a show, which is now, what, three three weeks at least, maybe four. Yeah. It's been a while. It's been a while. But uh, congratulations to Priscilla Kelly, for one, on becoming yeah. the inaugural Shine Nova champion. Um, really nice to see to see that and boy has I know I've said this before but it just amazes me how far um, Priscilla Kelly has come as a wrestler you know this per this girl who comes into it as a you know from a reality TV show and uh you know you wonder what does she really have for wrestling but um clearly she wants it you know well you know she, somebody I remember wrote a review early on in one of her first matches and pointed out the fact that she had the goods on, uh, on just in, in terms of a sheer sort of like presence, physical presence and whatnot um, of a potential diva. I remember a Larry Goodman calling that one very, very, very early. 
And yeah, I, you know, from everything I hear, she's, she's really driven and got it together. I think, you know, um, you know, I think Chip Day is like a great influence on her and clearly yeah, he's no got his head on straight and, uh, it's just wonderful to see. Um, I, Larry, if you could, I, you know, our guest, our guest Drake, he's when he's going to be on later, James Drake, but I wanted to, um, did you see the thing that Reverend Dan wrote about Tank's uh, retirement? I did. I did. That was great. Uh, it was really great. Um, I know we may not have time right now, but by the end of the show, I'd like to just read it and have a brief discussion about it. I think it's, it's, it's the kind of thing anybody would want written about them, but not just because of the things it says about Tank, but of kind of... Dan's a, just a very bright guy. I'm just a fucking huge fan of his. And the way that he lays it out, I think it just speaks so much about what's right in wrestling, what's, what's wrong with wrestling, what's maybe never going to come back, and how guys like Tank have a value that's really hard to measure. Um, but he certainly does his level best. So, you know, maybe at the end. I'll uh, I'll read it and we can talk about it in a little while because I I just thought it was really really great. So. Well, and of course, in uh, yeah, okay. Uh, I was just think if if our guest was on the line, but he isn't yet, so um, we can we can uh, hold that in the bands for now. Um, something I did want to mention. Uh, mm-hmm. I got a I got a postcard in the mail. What? Talk about old yeah. Talk about old school. I yeah. got a postcard from from Big Time Wrestling, <gasps> and the postcard is for their September twenty three show in Spartanburg, and it wow. lists all the stars. And I just I just thought this was the coolest thing to send out postcards. I don't know how I got on the mailing list. I guess because I went to another Spartanburg show or something. But yeah, they're so on September twenty third. Uh, they're listing uh, Sergeant Slaughter. Jerry the King Lawler, Kevin Nash, The Rock and Roll Express, Billy Gunn, Jimmy Valiant, Brian Christopher, Magnum TA, all uh, to be in attendance at Big Time Wrestling in Spartanburg. But I'm, I'm hanging on to this postcard. <laughs> That's really great. And I think in a day and age where, in theory, your mail matters less, I think that actually leaves an opportunity. Because, I mean, you were thrilled to get that postcard. You're thrilled to get anything that's not a bill, right? Or some, or some, you know, some advertising mailer that you don't care about. You know, I think it's a very smart idea. If it it was a Facebook announcement of a show, I would have passed by it. I probably would have noticed it, but among a zillion other ones. But for them to send a postcard listing out the, the the stars that are appearing, you know, here it sits on my on my desk, and I glance at it every once in a while, you know. So I'm, I'll be I'll be remember, I don't know if I'll go or not, but I'm certainly it's in my mind that they're having this show. Yeah, I mean, if if the modern wrestling the modern wrestling game is retain first, like that's the main concern is you want your people the people that come to your stuff you want them to become not necessarily fanatics, but certainly people who will attend again and again and again. Like the game is no longer fetching a whole bunch of new people. I think the game is getting the same, whatever, 100, 200, 300, 500 people to come repeatedly and repeatedly. (laughs) That's what she said. Um, To get them to show up again and again and again and spend more money while they're there. Um, you know, the game with the WWE is, okay, we're only going to have 3 million people watching instead of five or six. So how can we get the most money out of those 3 million? How can we get right. them to buy more instead of trying to cast a wider net? I was thinking about that because they were having a discussion about Shaq on Sports Talk Radio. And I, you know, I turned to my wife and I went, did you know that Shaq never gave up his house in Orlando? No matter where he played, he loves Orlando. And I'm like, that led to a bunch of gigs, like where he was in like Hulk Hogan's corner when Hogan was in WCW to help make sure that he got over and all this kind of stuff. And I went, 
boy, you know, the game back then was let's get Shaq because Shaq will get us USA Today, which will get us more people watching. Now, I think I don't think the game is that at all. I think it's more like what's of interest to the people that we've already got that will get them to buy more as opposed yeah, to. It, yeah, it, it, it's a different world where this this extracting more out of fewer people um, is 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 the total game. And, and, and that the while, you know, the WWE struggles creatively and in many ways, we sure, certainly have a thriving uh, indie scene that we didn't have a number of years ago. I mean, it's completely turned around. It's it's a, it's, yeah. it's a new world out there. Um, yeah, it really is. I mean, if, again, you know, with with the anarchy doing so well, you went to NCW. You and I talked about how you went to an NCW show on a Friday, and they had what did you say, seventy seventy five people? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, it, it would have been inconceivable that that venue. I mean, that's more that they were doing in the the last owner of Why We Wrestle, right? So now on their Friday night show, which uses a lot of new guys and all that kind of stuff, they're getting 75. They're doing a show every Friday. And the Saturday shows have gone from having small crowds to now being these sort of can't miss affairs. So, I mean, yeah, it's a good time for sure. Um, Speaking of uh, local shows, of course, I was at uh, Southern Fried. Saturday night uh, in Monroe, and uh, you know I, we we took a walk on the wild side uh, Saturday night down there. I hadn't seen blood like that in a long, long time. It, it oh was my gosh! Like, it, it was that thing where you're you're there's this edge, this air of danger in a time where everything feels so controlled, where it's like a punch in the stomach, and this is this is not supposed to happen. And it was it was really something to see, um, and, see so, how, and see the reactions of the people. Um, so for those that didn't know, if you want to explain it real fast, so Rick Michaels was the the victim of an attack. And, uh, you know, if we ever did a who are the three best bleeders in the state, <laughs> I, I think <laughs> I, 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 this is this is my short list. Are you ready? And, and p- please yeah. feel free to like contradict or add or take okay. away. Uh, Sean Tempers. I, <laughs> like when I saw Sean Tempers bleed the first time and I was just like, Oh my God. It was like all the way down to his boots. Anytime that I, who again, watch Japanese wrestling have done like a lot of ridiculous hardcore stuff myself. When I am concerned for somebody you 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 done did good, and Sean Tempers is one of those guys. I consider him the most underrated bleeder uh, in the state. Uh, Rick Michaels <laughs> is most assuredly there, um, and um, in his day, I mean now and before. I mean when Iceberg bled. Oh, good oh God. yeah, yeah. Good no, God. I, I I can't argue with that list. And I, you know, the thing about Saturday Night was, of course, that. Uh, for those who weren't there or didn't read my report, uh, Rick Michaels was stepping in to a situation where Southern Fried had lost two-thirds of their main event, supposed to be a three-way with Brian Kane and Strick Nine and Jimmy Rave, and neither Strick Nine or Jimmy Rave were there. And Michaels uh, took, the, took the spot. And, um, you know, I don't think there's anything they could have done in that three-way that could have topped this in terms of making an impact and making Brian Kane look like just the most evil man on earth um in in that main event so i mean it achieved its goal i'm sure there i'm sure there were some who would say this the blood was too much and they didn't need to do all that and and um it was a lot <laughs> it, it was I, mean, I had seen too many times where the guy where uh, rick or anyone else had to just literally wipe the blood from their eyes to finish the match because they, they were just, he was just blinded. There was so much blood coming coming out. So, um, do, do you yeah. remember? Yeah. Do you remember Larry when um, it was one of the first masquerade shows? But we had built up a thing of the exotic ones against the concrete gorillas, and so we had done the thing where 
they're too dangerous um, because, you know, we broke a bottle over a fan's head accidentally was the thing of like, how do you stop, you know, how do you stop a no rules street fight? That was our way to get out of it where it's like a fan got hurt. So we had to stop everything. And then it's like, we're going to put him in a cage because we have to protect the fans. Like I would, I, you know, that's when I was just, I was new at the booking thing. So I was just trying these great ideas that I had had, blah, blah, blah. So in that cage match, Rick bled buckets and he bled so much that I think it was like a Tuesday or Wednesday night show that he came to do the Friday show and he was all bandaged up and stuff. And in the middle of putting a chin lock on somebody, his head busts wide open again. Because <laughs> he had oh so much color three days before that even though he had it all cleaned up, it should have been fine. He had a, he literally had a bandage over it just to make sure. And the thing just started pouring blood again when he was putting a chin lock on somebody. So Rick Michaels gets his color, folks. That's what we're saying. So we'll have uh, James Drake coming on in just a, c- a couple minutes. He just messaged me and said he'll be calling in shortly. One other thing okay. there's about the Southern Fried Show, I think we have a potential, uh, of course, we, you know, if we had a Rookie of the Year category, which maybe we need to add back into the awards this year, we, had a poten- we have a potential Rookie of the Year in Ike Cross. Oh. This guy, uh, you know, not much experience, less than a year, trained by Robert Gibson, but he's got – all the natural uh, God-given gifts that one could have to, to make it in wrestling. We'll see what he does with it. Who would you say are the uh, early can- – I mean, Ike Cross, um, I, I don't know if he's a rookie per se, but everybody's talking about Austin Theory. My God. So, you know. Yeah. Do you count him as a rookie or like – or AC Mack? Do you count them as rookies? I'd have to put them them in there. Um, yeah. For sure. For sure. If, if you're going to count – if you can call Theory a rookie. Uh, is it I nice? Mean, it is. Is it not nice to have people hand down, hands down if you call him a rookie? There's no. There's it's it's nice that there's contention. I think between Robert Gibson's school and you know the sort of the revived WWA four school, they're beginning yeah. to get guys and and women out there, and uh, it's good. I mean, what's what's not better than you've got another generation of people coming up and doing their thing. It's certainly great. I mean, it was not that long ago that Priscilla Kelly was a rookie. It wasn't all that long ago that, you know, any number of people who are now the mainstays and, you know, going to other states and doing their thing were once rookies. And um, it's great. There was, a, there was a bit of a dry spell there, but it certainly seems like that dry there was. spell is lifted. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, and it, very interesting show Saturday night and uh, – uh, Southern Friday is going to try another Thursday night show in September. They're going to take a second shot at it, and they may uh, be uh, branching out and trying some other towns again, possibly Covington and Loganville. And Charles is teasing that he's got uh, a town in middle Georgia that he wants to run. So we'll see how all (laughs) that plays out. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Um, the NCW show was, um, I'm going to put it, I did write a report on it and I'll be posting it, you know, sometime in the next day or two, but, um, I enjoyed it. I mean, the thing that really struck me about it was how over the guys are there, you know, and it's certainly not because they're the world's greatest wrestlers, but, um, they're doing some, you know, Nigel, uh, Sherrod's doing some good things with the stories and they've got a developed a nice loyal fan base that really is into the characters, into the stories and, um, you know, as you said, it's a really nice thing to see and really surprising to see about how well that has all developed. And it's very, of course, with uh, Rick Michaels at the helm, it's very professionally done. Um, it's a good yeah. training ground for guys to learn how to work TV, work to the camera, do promos, you know, all those elements. Uh, it's it's a good training ground. Uh, I mean, right now, they're, I mean, everything's coming up roses in that building. They have the brand new ring, which, I mean, we, you know, we can have a debate on that ring being gone. I'm sure most people are like, thank God, it's so great. It's a brand new ring. And, you know, I, I'm just such an old man now. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, it sucks that they had to tear down that ring. I don't know. There's just something like, eh. <laughs> but um but yeah um that's that's amazing and i mean i'm glad tank is going to have his last match in that building 
um, you know, and with, with Tremont in, a, in that ring. And it's just very exciting, very exciting time for that place. Yeah, so. and that's this Saturday night, folks. If you're not doing anything, Tank's final match in Cornelia takes place this coming Saturday night. And it's going to be a, it looks like a really good overall show besides the Tank Farewell, if that wasn't enough. It looks like looks like a really good one. Hey, uh, one other thing before our guest comes on, we may have to do several more things before our guest comes on. But I got a, uh, a a note from somebody who shall remain nameless, who works in the Georgia wrestling uh, scene, who suggested mm-hmm. that I um, shouldn't put things like match times in my reports. That it was um, telling people things they didn't need to know. Which because I didn't of quite understand. Match times? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what, the explanation. What, what's your, yeah, what's, did they give an explanation of why? Oh boy. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, he, he just didn't think. Uh, I was telling people things they didn't didn't need to know. Uh, where's, I'm sorry, I can't find the, the specific thing here. I wish I could. Sorry about that. Uh, you know that it seems like that's a part of a larger trend of specific knowledge is giving way in favor. It's it's kind of like not commentators being told in WWE not to name specific moves unless it's a finisher. So that, you know, that the whole ridiculous, and, and it's weird how that's just become a thing. And at first people were like, huh? And now they just accept it beyond like for Brock Lesnar, they'll call, for instance, they'll call F five and they'll call German suplex, but anything else he does, they'll just generally, so instead of saying like a clothesline or a Japanese arm drag, they'll just sort of, they're instructed to give so just sort of more general, like, Oh, he takes them down. And, and they're trying to get the sort of vocabulary of specificity out of wrestling. So what Here did he is. say? He, oh, so he says, why should I pay, uh, putting the match length of time for each match deters paying customers. Why should I pay $10 if my favorite wrestler is only going to be shown for seven minutes? Nobody realizes the time until you put in context like that. Using terms, wrestling terms like pop, bump, or heel scares away new fans. Yeah, that's dumb. I, I, like, I, don't, I don't know what else to say, but that's dumb. I, I, I'll, I'll cite an example. So, Game of Thrones <laughs> debuted on Sunday. That's sort of like seventh season, sort of their last season. It's very anticipated. Normally the show starts in April, but they had to start it in July because they had to tape more episodes. The episodes are longer. You know, they're just going out with a bang. So the main character, the, the, the character on whom the show tends to focus is Daenerys. And her right-hand man is the character that everybody universally loves, which is Tyrion. You know, this was the first episode that ever had Tyrion where he didn't say a word. And Mm. the Daenerys and Tyrion, and and now keep in mind, the show's usually 50 minutes or 55. This show was an hour and 10 minutes. And Daenerys and Tyrion were in the last two minutes of it. That's it. Mm. (laughs) And... I saw where people were complaining, like, oh, they were. But again, the, the, you don't pay your money. I, again, it's, a, it's sort of a weird complaint because it's a combination of old school mentality and then sort of new mentality. Like the old mentality of, oh, if you tell the people too much, they won't pay if they know they're only going to see so-and-so for seven minutes. I don't – they're just happy that they're there, frankly. But my God – it's I'm I'm thrilled to have somebody not wear out their welcome. Me I too. can't ever remember. I mean, did there were probably complaints here. There's a good example on great balls of fire that Samoa Joe and Brock Lesnar did not wrestle a very long match. Yeah, there were. Right? Sure. Sure. There are those complaints. I would gather <laughs> that more people watched that match 
than almost anything else they've done all year, including WrestleMania. I would say more people probably tuned in to see just that. And they felt no more. And if they had gone 20 minutes, you know what you would have seen? 10 minutes of dog shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, clearly, <laughs> clearly the problem's overexposure these days. And seeing the same matches on Monday night before they ever do them on pay-per-view, yeah. well, yeah, on, on the big shows, the, the, the matchups are already worn out before they get there because you've seen them so much already. But uh, let's set that aside and, and uh, talk to our guest. Yes, please introduce him, Larry. Yes, we're joined now by Carolina Star, one half of the Evolve Tag Team Champions. Mr. James Drake, welcome to the Tipping Point. How you doing today, Mr. Goodman? Fine. You're you're on the line with myself and co-host Stephen Platinum. Thank you. Hi, James. How are you? I've been better. It's been a long day. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. I don't. I don't think we've ever formally met. I've certainly seen you before. Um, I'm. I'm in Florida, so I get to, you know, I get to an evolve show here and there and that kind of thing. Um, t- t- if you could, I'm gonna just fire a question off right off the bat. I'm sorry that you know you haven't had the best of days, but um, your tag partner. Um, where did you meet him, and what made you form the team? The obviously successful team. Well, uh, I met Anthony about, geez, it could have been about seven or eight years ago. Um, that, well, that was the first interaction I had with him. It was at a tag team tournament in Forest City, North Carolina. He was uh, teaming with a fella in the tournament. They had a short match in the tournament, and that was pretty much the end of it. Um, I don't know that either of us remember the conversation from that night because, I mean, quite frankly, I've taken a shot at a head or two since then. Um but we really started becoming friends uh, around the time I started wrestling for Flatline. That was about three years ago. Uh, I was Flatline Pro in Augusta, Georgia, where he was a mainstay, and I was just I was starting to get my feet wet somewhere other than the Carolinas, really. Um, and we just we became friends there, um, more along more associates really we just we would talk during shows in the locker room and then we'd hang out for a little bit after shows um of course me and his uh, fiance amber we became friends as well and just the more that we were on shows together the more we started saying to each other you know what our styles are they're really similar even though his is more his is a lot more flashy than mine is and a lot more technically sound than mine is but we're both going into the ring to hit you hard as many times as we can, and no matter if it's pretty or not, we're going to do what we have to do to get the victory. And that's just that's just it. Um, and then the group, the work horsemen came along. And this has been a year and a half or more in the making. Um, yeah. Myself, Ethan, um, Rob Kiljoy, Lance Lude, Ethan Case, Malachi Matthews, White Mike, Timmy Lou Retton, just a bunch of uh, Tracer X, a bunch of us guys from the Carolina scene that have decided, you know what, we're not going to wait on anybody to see us anymore. We're going to go take yeah. what we want. So we've jumped in the car and we've went all over the place. And Anthony and I uh, gained a booking or two with WWN through Style Battle and FIP. And we just said to each other, jokingly one day, what would uh, – what would happen if we became a tag team? And I guess somebody overheard it because we got booked as a tag team on Evolve. And the night of the Evolve show, honestly, was our first time tagging together. Wow. So we've known each other for years. We've watched each other's stuff. We've studied each other's stuff. So when we went in there and tagged together, it really felt like we had been doing it for years. Hmm. Uh, James, I know you're you're very well known, of course, in the Carolina area, but not so much in Georgia. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about the James Drake's story? How did you get into wrestling and and so forth? Um, I got into wrestling 16 years ago, lifelong fan. I mean, you've heard this story a million times. But a guy that I went to high school with named Josh Holland, his uh, ring name is Josh Steinborn, 
me and him were pretty good friends in high school, and he started wrestling as a senior in high school. And he just he said to me one day, "Why don't you come try out?" I mean, you can't. It's not going to be that hard. You're athletic enough. I mean, I played uh, played two sports in high school, and I've always been kind of agile to be 200, 225 pounds when I was in school. I'm 270 now. But I always told him when I get out of school and I'm able to do what I want to do when I hit legal age, I'll give it a shot. So he made me hold up to my end of the bargain as soon as I turned 18 and got out of school. He called me up. He said, hey, my ring is set up. You going to come bump for me or not? So I showed up at, uh, in Forest City and bumped a couple of times, got the itch, bumped for about a month, trained a little as far as learning a little bit of chain wrestling here and there, and was put in my first match against David Reimer, who wound up being my true trainer. Um, I wrestled him in my first match. Got in the back, he asked me how long I had been working. I told him it was my first match, and he looked at me and called me a liar. So he said right then he wanted to take me under his wing. I trained three days a week, every week, for two solid years. And hmm. that wasn't counting the truck putting in at shows when I had to show up and help set up the ring for ring rentals, tear it down, set it up at our show the next day, train there. Tear it down that night. And you always had Sunday off, but you had to jump right back on it on Monday. But that's, like I said, cookie cutter story. Just as soon as I got out of high school. Um, you don't you don't exactly wrestle a style that would be typical of a 270 pound guy. You do a lot more. Uh, uh, so high. <laughs> How did you arrive at uh, doing what you're doing? Well, I can tell you that my biggest influences in wrestling was Arn Anderson and the Great Buddha. They were my two favorites when I was growing oh. up. When I really, when I really, really started um, taking notice to professional wrestling, it was around the Cruiserweight era. I watched Rey Mysterio, Juventus, Psychosis, La Parca. Silver King, El Dandy, Super Porky, uh, you name it. If they were on the Cruiserweight division on WCW, I watched them. And when I got when I was on a trampoline as a kid, I always wanted to do what they did. I wanted to do every flip that they did. I didn't care how big I was. I've always been a bigger person. I mean, at 14 years old, I was 210 pounds. But it was one of those things where I always had pretty good control over my body. I could I could do whatever I wanted to do, not what my body told me that I should be doing. Does that make sense? Yes. So, so when I got into actual professional wrestling, like while I still loved Arn Anderson and his technical style, and I marked out for the spine buster bigger than anything on God's green earth, I still saw Great Muda's Moonsault and Juventus 450 and things like that as legitimate finishing moves that somebody my size shouldn't be doing, and I wanted to do them, so I done them. <laughs> Steve, you got a question for James? Yeah, absolutely. James, I, you know, a lot of the guys that you, you mentioned, uh, Ethan Case and the like, they, you guys all seem to have a chemistry either working against one another in the ring or teaming up with one another. Um, I, I know what a lot of those guys' motivations are, like what their end goal is, um, whether it's to get signed by WWE or wrestle in Japan or just get out there to more and more states. What, if you don't mind me asking, one, how old are you? And two, what are your visions on where you want wrestling to take you? Right now I'm 33 years old. Okay. And honestly, it's, uh, I could – I can sit here and tell you all day, yeah, WWE is the end goal, or, so, or Japan, or wherever. But it's not my place to say where, where wrestling's going to take me. All I'm going to do is put in the work and allow wrestling to take me wherever it wants to. Um, I just I want to be a household name. I want to be able to provide a comfortable living for my family. 
something that uh, something I didn't have when I was growing up. Um, my family struggled. They never let me know it as a child that they, that we struggled. They always made it seem like we've got everything under control. But when I got older, I realized how hard they were working to make sure that I had I had a better life than most. So I want to be able to do what I love and be able to just make sure that both of my children are comfortable, whether that's in WWE, Ring of Honor, Evolve, New Japan, Progress in England. It doesn't matter yeah. to me. I'm willing to do whatever it takes, and I want to be a household name. I want to create a legacy that my family can, my children can be proud of. Great. How long have you been wrestling now, James? Um, I'm going into my 60s. So, looking back on all that, what any uh, particular moments or matches that stand out? I know that's a lot of ground you've covered, but what jumps out at you? Um, the last two years. The last two years have well, been absolutely insane. Um, I've gotten opportunities that I never thought I would have gotten. And not only did I get those opportunities, I made the most of them. Becoming a part of the PWX roster has probably helped my career more than anything in the world. Um, I've worked top-tier talent from Gunner to Sammy Callahan, Jeff Cobb, John Davis, um, John Schuyler, you name it. They're all there. But none of those would have happened had I not become a part of the PWX roster. I had worked Gunner before. I had worked with him before mm. multiple times. So me and him are – I've known him almost 15 years. So he was trained by Abel Adams, who was a mainstay in the North Carolina scene. And mm-hmm. I worked a lot of years with Abel as well. So it was – it wasn't anything big to me back then, though, because he was still just Phil Shatter. He was NWA national champion. He was starting to make waves then, but once he had already made his name, once he had already been through TNA, held their heavyweight championship, was getting looks by WWE and things like that, when I got to work with him in uh, BWX, it was it was a completely different atmosphere, a completely different feel, and people were actually taking notice. Uh, Sammy Callahan, there's there's no there's no words that need to be said to describe what kind of talent Sammy is. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But once you've been in the ring with him, and when you get done, he looks at you and says, "You've got my endorsement, kid." That means something to somebody who was told his entire life you're never going to make it for this, that, or the other. Uh, how did you get your shot in PWX? Persistence. Um, Ethan Case, Ethan Case and I have been, we've been good friends for about 12 years. I was actually his first match in professional wrestling in an injury in Forest City, North Carolina, as a tryout match for the main show that night. And him and Elijah Evans, the fourth, were a tag team, worst case scenario. Everybody in Georgia knows who worst-case scenario is. Everybody in the Carolinas, the Southeast, knows who worst-case scenario is. And I got an opportunity to wrestle them with a tag team partner, uh, Kid Chaos, at Flatline in Augusta, Georgia. As soon as we got done with the match, they got to the back, and Ethan Case was on the phone with uh, Patrick Price saying, hey, you need to book these guys. Not only do you need to book these guys, you need to book these guys to wrestle us. On the first Pure show they had, um, me and Kid Chaos wrestled worst-case scenario. Fantastic match. Went about 10, 12 minutes. Crowd thoroughly loved it. Got a please-come-back chant, and that was the only match I worked for them for about eight months. And then we went to the second Pure show in Winston-Salem, where I wrestled Elijah Evans before again. Had another really good match, and didn't hear anything else. Now, Mr. Goodman's about to laugh because I think he knows where I'm getting ready to go. Wrestled a show in Georgia for while we wrestled, read a review of said show, and somebody decided to write that I had a uh, pudgy for indies only type look 
that my work was more than adequate, but my look was not that great. Does that sound familiar, Mr. Goodman? Slightly. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I, had, I had talked to someone who was kind of close to management and said, hey, is my look keeping me out of PWX? He said, I don't want to tell you yes because I don't want to, I don't want to say anything negative. I said, well, that's all I needed to hear. And I spent the next six months trying to get in shape. And sure enough, got a call from PWX after I'd started making and like showing my progression on Facebook. So, I mean, at first I started doing it because somebody pissed me off, like a better terminology. And then as I started seeing the changes and started seeing the positivity that I was, I was garnering from other people, I was starting to become an inspiration for others to start getting in shape and others to start like taking control of their lives again. I was like, you know what? I don't care about whether I get a booking anymore or whatever this is for. I'm just I'm gonna do this for me. And then I got a call saying, Hey, we got nobody to team with Tim Dots. Would you like to team with Tim Dots against the revolt in Gastonia? I said, Sure. So I showed up, wrestled against uh the revolt with Tim Dots, and they rushed me over to take promo pictures that night and said, Hey, you're booked in Hickory, I'll see you there. Wrestled Ethan Chase in Hickory and after that match had a job. Excellent, excellent. Um, Steve, you got any other questions for? Uh, yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say, you know, but, but just we got to make sure we get this stuff out of the way. Where Where are you gonna be in the next few weeks? Where can people see you regularly and get in contact with you if they want to book you and that kind of thing? Okay. Um, well, this week on Thursday night, I'll be at XWA in Rhode Island. On Friday, I will be at Limitless Wrestling in Maine. On Saturday, I'll be at uh, International Wrestling Cartel in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That's uh, this weekend. I forget the dates. That's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, this week. Um, next weekend, on the 28th, I'll be in Columbia. The 29th, I believe I'm going to the Ring of Honor show at Concord. I'm going there to do uh, crew work and see what happens. There's been talks of me maybe working the show. I don't know. I'm not going in expecting anything, but, you know, whatever happens, happens. On the 30th, Anthony and I are team, uh, Anthony Henry and I are teaming at Atlanta Wrestling Entertainment at the Marietta event talk. And then I've got a week off. And then August, For Evolve the 12th, I'm in Queens, New York for Evolve. Oh, that's awesome. Out of, out of, you know, out of the places that you've wrestled outside of the Carolinas, what's a, what's a place that you've really uh, become a fan of? What's a state or a town that you've really, or a venue that you've become a real fan of going to? Um, I really like the Northern Crowd. I've, I got hmm. to work in Albany Court recently, and, man, you want to talk about easy crowds. I have never in my life, like, it's been 15 years, like, legitimately, since I've seen a crowd that easy to work. Hmm. It was just like, go out there, be on, and they hate you. <laughs> it's just all there is to it. It was the easiest crowd I've ever drawn heat from. My favorite place to work right now, honestly, is in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm the PWX crowd in Charlotte, there's nothing like it. Nothing like it. If you go back and watch the Evolve 88 show where Anthony and I won the belt, and you hear the pop at the end of the match, you'll understand why it's hard for me to say anywhere is better than Charlotte, North Carolina. Nice. Yeah, they've really got it going there at that building. It's a really great atmosphere. Couldn't agree more. Um, James, it's been a pleasure to speak with you tonight. Thank you for giving us uh, some of your time, and uh, we certainly wish you'd continued success yes sir thank you guys very much um you find me on facebook james drake you find me on twitter at real james drake not the british guy um, <laughs> send me an email at book james drake at gmail.com and i mean i'm not hard to find i promise 
<laughs> well, it was a pleasure, Mr. Drake. And, um, you know, next time you're in Florida, I will definitely try to come catch you again. Absolutely. Take care, I'll man. Take care. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Larry, we're, believe it or not, we're already bumping up to the end of the show. Um, if we yeah. could, so, to recap, like, um, so he was a great guest, by the way. Good get, Larry. Um, so Dan, uh, Reverend Dan, who books Anarchy, um, in addition to cutting some of my favorite promos ever, um, wrote something in, in light of Tank having his last match um, in that building at the Landmark Arena on Saturday. And um, and then his official end will be at um, Scenic City. Right. And by the way, um, Larry, do you want to say what our – we're going to have tipping point next week again. Um, who's our yes. guest next week, Larry? We're please. coming back next week uh, with Brutal Bob Evans will be our guest. And we may get, also have – uh, get a few minutes with Ace Rockwell just to do a, a little more preview of the scenic city. Awesome. Awesome. So that's next week. Larry and I will be back much to the delight of many, I'm sure. But here's, here's what Dan wrote and I'm just going to read it. And then, you know, maybe Larry and I will have uh, something quick to say about it, but um, this post will be long, profane, sappy, and real. Proceed at your own peril. By the way, how refreshing is it that someone in wrestling has a vocabulary and a mastery of language? Um, something I think that's something that's actually being lost. Like, I'm making a joke, but it's actually not a joke, and that's sad. Um, I've been avoiding this inevitable post, and as a leader, I've probably not shared or promoted this as much as I should have, because the truth is it is fucking me up. Thanks to the entire wrestling community for doing it instead, by the way. This coming Saturday night is the next-to-last match the the strong-style psycho tank is scheduled to ever have. It is totally selfish to me to be as sad as I am about it. Unlike many of our brothers before him, he is leaving with his head held high. How true is that? A legacy of years of entertaining thousands of people by one of the realest motherfuckers to ever step through a curtain. After... Even after a nearly 22-year career full of physical abuse that would cripple the average Joe, he's leaving with his health intact, with a secure personal life and a beautiful family. I met Tank in the year 2000. I was as green as grass, working as an announcer, whatever else they can let me do in Dalton, Georgia for TWA. Oh, my God, I remember that. And I'd already heard stories about him. He intimidated me on sight, but pretty well after the first conversation, we had, there was a connection made. We became a friendship. We always looked out for each other. And that became to the point where I consider his family an extended part of my family. We have laughed, cried, burned up thousands of miles of roads together. Our kids have grown up together. We have been there for each other's divorces, weddings, and major funerals. And we always will be. It is true that once the lights fade and you are no longer valuable to our business, you become an afterthought to most. Wow. It is a cruel reality, true of all entertainment. We are extremely lucky to have made such a tight-knit group of real-life friends from wrestling. Hell, he lives five minutes from me. None of that is going to change. We still get together to watch wrestling sports, have cookouts, etc. So why in the hell am I so torn up that he's retiring? Maybe it's sadness for wrestling in general at how few guys like him exist anymore and how badly they are needed. Maybe it's sadness that it is only on his retirement tour I feel the greater worldwide wrestling audience has given him the respect he is due. Don't get me wrong. It is awesome and greatly appreciated. I just wish it had come sooner for him is all. Most of all, I think for me personally is mourning the end of an era. Our crew has dwindled one by one over the years. There aren't many of us left in the business. Those times when you were young and carefree and going from town to town and raising hell and entertaining crowds and doing dumb shit along the way and hopefully learning from those dumb mistakes. Those are the best times of your life. Those are times few normal people who don't have the guts to get out there and chase a dream will ever get to experience. Tank's retirement is symbolic of life's ever-changing trickery. You want the good times to last forever, but you don't savor them as much as you should until you start feeling the punch of your expiration date. But if you got to go out, do so with a bang. Tank is doing exactly that. It starts next Saturday on 7:22 In the arena, Tank said, launched his career to the next level and is his home. He faces Matt Tremont. It's so great they got him, by the way. He faces Matt Tremont, one of the most fearsome dudes in the world, flying in to honor Tank by giving him the fight of his life because he grew up idolizing Tank on NWA Wildside TV. 
that's a pretty powerful statement about Tang's contribution to wrestling. He says goodbye to his wild side anarchy legacy at the Landmark Arena on 7:22. I expect the arena to be full. Then on 8:4 in Oliwa, wow, uh, Oltiwa, Tennessee, he faces former UFC fighter, indie wrestling phenomenon, badass, and the supreme bro of professional wrestling, Matthew Riddle, in what could be his final match depending on the outcome, parentheses, it being a tournament at all, close parentheses. Pretty kick-ass way to go out if you ask me. Enjoy these because you will need to savor the memories to survive in a post-tank wrestling world. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. As we get older and older, Larry, um, you know, there's just, there's just things that, that become very obvious, right? One, you're going to have to say goodbye to a bunch of people, either because they drift out of your life, um, they leave wrestling, or they die. And, uh, you know, with Tank, Tank leaving, it, it's funny. Like, Tank and I have uh, – we've met each other, but we communicated more through Facebook messages than anything else <laughs> – so, like, it, it's fascinating. Like, I, you know, God, I would love to be there to see him face Tremont. It's going to be great. And it's one of those where there are guys who purport to be like Tank. They don't say it directly, but you can tell they're trying to, like, I'm legitimate, I'm such a badass, blah, blah, blah. But, boy, you just can't – just, it's just like you can't label yourself the humblest I don't think you can label yourself the toughest or just the guys that have, you know, this is going to sound crazy, but it's, it, I think it's what makes Brock Lesnar and Samoa Joe so fascinating because those guys are undeniably, there's something very real and present about them. And I put tank in that category as well. There is an instant expectation when you see Tank or when you know he's going to wrestle. And there are so few guys who just by being themselves live up to advanced building. So that's, that's what I would say about Tank. What are, what are your thoughts about Tank, Larry? Well, he's, uh, I'm reminded of a couple of things. One, from Dan's writing, how there's a, a nice camaraderie, really neat camaraderie among the Chattanooga crew. And yeah. I get what he's saying about as time goes on, there's that crew shrinks, you know, at least the the, the group that he came up with shrinks down. Uh, and I, I get what he's saying about that. Another thought is that, you know, Tank's one of those people I always look forward getting to talk with at any shows that, that I'm at and he's at. And the, one of the things that always blows me away about him is how matter-of-fact he is about it all. You know, it's just uh, – it's Yeah. <laughs> Nothing to it, you know, no big deal. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's part of becoming older as well, is you either become, and we see this in, you know, WWE, like you either become the guy who's bitter about pro wrestling and what it's become, or you're the guy who kind of takes it all in context. And Tank is definitely, as much as he gets sort of a rep for being a curmudgeon or a guy who hates shitbirds and all the rest of that, I think at the end of the day, he really loves the stuff without having to say all the time, I love wrestling, I bleed wrestling, I live wrestling. Like, there's those that say it and those that just do it. And he's one of those guys that just does it. And And it's so evident uh, and you know the love that's going to be in that building. I'm a, I am absolutely assuming you're going to be there, Larry. I would just I'm you are shocked if you... absolutely right. <laughs> I would not miss this. Uh, I can't wait for the write up. Um, it's it's so wonderful, and the fact that they got Tremont. And again, you know, people again can have their opinions about hardcore wrestling and whatever. But in a world where wrestling is. I mean, it's downright sanitized. I'm like, you know, spots notwithstanding, it's just so sanitized and something that's game. I mean, it's, it's a great match because it's what tank is, which is the, the ever present feeling of danger and presence and the it factor. Um, And he's going out with a whole lot of love in the building that, is the only building in the state that could really have that match. So it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Well, 
I guess we've come to the end of our time. We have. But next week, hopefully, we'll have Brutal Bob Evans on and then Ace Rockwell to talk about Scenic City. And Brutal Bob is doing a, he's doing a wrestling seminar at Scenic City, is he not? Yes, he's doing a seminar at Scenic City, correct. Correct. Cool. Well, uh, for Larry Goodman, um, thank you to James Drake, by the way. Um, for Larry Goodman, I'm Stephen Platinum, and we'll see you next week on The Tipping Point. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.